Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. We're going to be talking about Glass Sword by Victoria Aveyard. And this week, I'll start off with the character descriptions and Marissa will do the plot. So we open on an island, Tuck. So that's an island base that the Scarlet Guard uses. We also have a new place called The Notch. Um, It's a place that Cal and Mare take the New Bloods to train. We meet a new character, the Colonel. He's described as having a bloody eye. He's the Lakelander and Farley's father. He is in command of the Scarlet Guard that's located in Tuck. He does not like the Silvers or the New Bloods. He refers to them as freaks and things. We meet two of Mare's brothers, um, Bree. He's described as being very strong and bulky. His steps are lumbering. He used to beat up Shade. We also meet Trammy, Mare's other brother. He's described as similar to Bree, but kinder. They're also both noted to not have, be very intelligent. Then we meet Nix Marston. He's the first new blood that they save. His power is that he's impenetrable, and so silver powers do not work on him. We meet Krantz. He's a Harvard Bay smuggler. He's friends with Farley and Shade. He's described as having massive arms and a barrel chest. We meet Ada Wallace. She's another new blood. She has the ability to memorize and remember everything. We meet Keitha a new blood with the power to destroy objects without touching them. Farah, a new blood with the power to manipulate sound. Herrick, a new blood with the power to manipulate sight. We meet John, who is described as having gray skin, hair, and clothes, with horrifying blood-red eyes. He's a new blood who can see the future. We meet Gareth, a new blood who can manipulate gravity. Nanny, a new blood who can change her face. We also meet Cameron Cole. She's a new blood. She's around 15 or 16. She's described as having black hair, being long and lean. She is a, tech, a techie and has numer- numbers tattooed around her neck. She escaped from Koro's prison. Her power is that she's able to shut down Silver and New Blood's powers and stop them from using their abilities. We go to Koro's prison which is a prison that's being used to house New Bloods and Silvers who are against Maven and his mother. Those are the new characters. Marissa, you want to do the plot? Sure. (laughs) Yes. So our story, Glass Sword, begins right where the Red Queen leaves off. So Mare and Cal have been rescued from the Bowl of Bones in Archeon by the Scarlet Guard with Farley directing their escape through underground tunnels to Nairsi, which is a town that was originally abandoned due to radiation in which the Scarlet Guard has been operating out of. Um, And Mayor is stunned to see her brother Shade alive on on this train that's transporting them. And he's tending to her while Cal is guarded and shackled. So he could easily free himself if he chose to. Ever the tactician, Cal begins to suggest to Farley what Maven's next steps are going to be and that the escape plan to Nairsi will surely fail. And Farley, who acts unconcerned with this, states that there are more places to run to. So they arrive in Nairsi and they find that it has been evacuated from the, by the Scarlet Guard. Um, but it's not long before Maven's forces show up, beginning with a fleet of small planes that is armed with missiles, which begin to <laughs> destroy the town. Um, And then followed by that, we have a legion of reds who've been shackled and are being directed by silver leaders, which arrive to take Mare and Cal back to Maven. Um, And the process of Mare and company attempting to escape Maven's legions, Nairsi is destroyed. Uh, Shade uses his teleportation skills to jump Mare around town out of danger, but he is eventually shot and injured. And those of the Scarlet Guard who survived the attack as well and Mare, as Mayor and Cal are whisked away from Nairsi in a Mersive, uh, which is an underwater transport, 
transportation um, thing, like a, like a submarine basically. And so they are taken in the Mersive to an island called Tuck, which is fairly remote and an excellent place for them to hide. Upon arriving in Tuck, Mayor realizes that while she has allied with the Scarlet Guard, she was not very well informed about its power structures and it, she becomes very suspicious. Cal is separated from Mayor by the Scarlet Guard, uh, by their, um, and by the Scarlet Guard and their colonel, um, a man with a red eye who actually ends up being Farley's father. They're told that Cal is being taken off to be interrogated. So, Mayor discovers that her family has actually been housed on Tuck as well, and she's able to see them for the first time since Cal took her to the stilts several months ago. And so she finds out that her other brothers, Bree and Trammy, are also working with the Scarlet Guard. She officially meets the Colonel, and he is abrasive and threatening, and our, her lightning girl realizes that though her powers may be unique and she has red blood, her status as a new blood is not as appealing to the Scarlet Guard as she originally thought. She and Farley explain to the Colonel their plan to find and save as many new bloods as possible to use them to help with combating the Silvers as part of the, the Scarlet Guard, and the Colonel dismisses this plan as foolish. Mayor discovers that Cal has been imprisoned and forms a plan to help. Uh, with the help of Killorn and Farley to free him. However, while attempting to free Cal, she's betrayed by Killorn to the Colonel and locked in a room of Silent Stone, which dampens their abilities with Cal. It turns out this was all a ploy, and Cal and Mare are freed, and with Shade, Farley, and Killorn, they steal a plane and escape Tuck. Our friends begin the process of jumping from one location to another to find and save as many new bloods as they can before Maven can find them and kill them. At one of these st stops in a town called Harbor Bay, they find one of the new bloods that they're searching for has been very recently murdered. And the boy's body is actually a trap uh, meant to lure uh, Mayor and Cal and company into Maven's clutches. So Maven and his guards surround them. And when Mayor attempts to use her lightning abilities, she experiences pain like she has never known, accompanied by repeated clicking sounds. It incapacitates her. And Maven, thinking that he has captured her, takes this moment to brand the skin beneath her collarbone with the letter M. The pain that she experiences. In, co in combination with the clicking becomes so intense that Mare loses consciousness. When she wakes up disoriented with Cal and Killorn watching over her, she learns that she's been unconscious for four days. And in that time, the, uh, the new bloods have been um, being rescued by the rest of their company. They've been using the plane to go out and seek out new bloods in the area and have been, been bringing them back to their new home base called the Notch. So in some of their attempts to rescue the new bloods, their efforts are too late and Mayor finds that Maven has been leaving notes with the bodies of the people that he's been killing, telling her that if she surrenders to him, the killing will stop. Mare experiences significant personal struggles in coping with the guilt from the lives that she was unable to save of the new bloods, but also the people who helped serve her when she was uh, living in the castle in the Red Queen as well. They were murdered because of Maven. He ordered them to be killed because they knew about her. And so she also struggles with trusting anyone after having been so affected by Maven's betrayal. And she even tells Shade, her own brother, that she feels unable to trust even him. After being imprisoned with Cal in the Red Queen, Mayor decides that they are not really meant to pursue a romantic relationship, but she feels drawn to him and struggles with wanting to keep him close, but also push him away. So she wants to rely on his comfort and warmth, but she also doesn't feel like she can trust him either. And she doesn't want to trust in any sort of relationship with him. Uh, she eventually begins to share a bed with him um, just to allow herself to find comfort with him, if only while she's sleeping. In their rescue attempts, they find people with abilities that are unheard of in silver blood, such as the ability to manipulate gravity or completely change their appearance. 
And in one of their attempts, they find a man, the gray man named John, who's able to see everything in the future. And he tells Mayor of a prison that holds both New Bloods and Silvers who opposed Maven, giving her a specific timeline for when to go to avoid being kill killed in the process. He directs them to another location where they find another New Blood who's named Cameron Cole with the ability to nullify a person's abilities to the point of their death. She has escaped from the Koros prison, which is where the New Bloods and the Silvers are being held. And so when Mayor where Mare usually gives New Bloods the choice to join their cause or to go about their lives, she does not extend this to Cameron because Cameron is a linchpin when it comes to successfully breaking into the prison. So Cameron is highly antagonistic of Mare, stating that she's just as bad as the Silvers, that she has abandoned a group of soldiers to die, that blood is still, the color of their blood is still a factor that's separating people. And we find out that Cameron's twin, her 15-year-old brother, is part of a first regiment of red soldiers called the Dagger Legion, those who were conscripted due to the new measures, forcing children ages of 15, aged 15 to 17, to enlist in the army. They are to be marched into the front line of the war in the choke, where they will surely be slaughtered. In exchange for Cameron's help, Mayor promises to train her in her abilities to prevent her from killing her brother and other people that she loved, with the implication eventually being that she'll be able to go and help her brother. So Mayor and company fly to the Koros prison with one of the new bloods impersonating Maven and the rest serving as his guards and they infiltrate the prison. Battle ensues. However, the new bloods who are being held prisoner are liberated and part of the new company helps to evacuate them. Mayor, Cal, and Cameron find the control room which will allow them to find the imprisoned silvers specifically Cal's uncle Julian and his mother's best friend, Sarah Skonos. At the control room, Mayor and Cameron encounter three guards who plead with them to spare their lives as they were just following the king's orders. And to Cal's horror, Mayor and Cameron brutally murder the guards. Julian, Sarah, and many of the other Silvers are liberated and they make their way to the outside of the prison on their way, Mare encounters Queen Alara, who has been using prisoners as an opportunity for her to practice uh, using them to manipulate them with her powers. So Mare is able to evade Queen Alara using the Silent Stone, and then Shade rescues her. Uh, Mare and company and the prisoners break free from the prison walls, but they are still being pursued by guards. Once again, Shade jumps to Mare to save her, but at the precise moment that he does, a knife thrown by Ptolemus pierces his heart, and he dies instantly. We learn that in the aftermath of Shade's death, Mara has killed, Mare has killed Queen Alara, Farley is openly mourning Shade's death as they had become lovers in the last few months. Mayor directs Cal to fly them to Tuck rather than their home base at the Notch as originally planned. And there she forms a plan with the Colonel to hijack the broadcasting system to send a message to Reds and Silvers that she is a new blood, that more people like her exist, that they are safe and welcome within the ranks of the Scarlet Guard, and that the Silvers can be brought down, which she reinforces by displaying Queen Alara's head. Mare and the Colonel form a plan to rescue the 5,000 child soldiers of the Jagger Legion. However, when they attempt to take action, things do not go as planned. To learn how it ends, you have to read the book, or you can do like I do and look up the spoilers on the internet. So this is your spoiler alert. Everything from here is just going to be spoilers. Okay. So there was a lot of stuff that I liked about this book. What about you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> this book gave me a lot of anxiety. There was I, some, yeah, go ahead. I really tried to do what you do and not look up spoilers and just kind of let it, let myself be led into the plot. And then, I, oh, I couldn't do it. I had to know, I had to know so I could emotionally prepare. It stressed me out. So while there was a lot I liked about this book, there was also some stuff I didn't like about it, but, um, cause yeah, it was, I actually looked up spoilers for the whole series. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's, you know, I never do that as yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. But um, I really liked seeing more of the Scarlet Guard. Yeah. So like in the last book, we saw them as, you know, it just seemed like it was Farley and a couple of other people not really super well organized. Mm-hmm. And now we see this insane organization going on. They have submarines, right? That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. And underwater prisons and several islands and stuff, and cities that they rebuilt. So I liked seeing that. That was mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. It's not, so it, they don't seem quite as ragtag as they did in the first book you know, where it's just Farley and kind of like, I mean, I guess it seemed kind of organized, but it's, we actually get to see kind of a power structure and realize that Farley's not just like the leader. There's people above her that are making the things happen. So I feel like I could put a little bit more faith in this group. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing that it wasn't just Farley who got captured on her first attempt to, well, second attempt, I guess, to get, to get into the castle. (laughs) <laughs> well and she's also you know practically a child still. yeah she's like a teenager too so <laughs> it yeah I feel like I could put more or more trust in, a, in an organization that wasn't led by a teenager um and then the other thing that I really liked about this um book was seeing all the new powers mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun mm-hmm. um yeah, because they were stuff that, you know, the Silvers had never seen before. So mm-hmm. how do you fight back against that? Yeah. They don't know what to expect. Yeah. I thought Gareth's power was probably the coolest, his ability to manipulate gravity. Yes. Although I really liked um, the one who can manipulate um, sight and what oh, you see. Oh, yeah. Herrick. Yeah. 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 That one's a good think- one, too. Yeah. I thought that one was really cool because he manages to sneak them in places and then mm-hmm. Manny's power that she could change faces and stuff mm-hmm. was really cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. But Gareth was able to fly. So. All right. If I had a superpower, I think that's, I would want to be able to fly. Although I've had this conversation with someone before and they were like, actually, you probably wouldn't really love being able to fly like Superman because it would like the, the speed at which he flies would rip the skin off of your face. So kind of took the wind out of my sails with that. <laughs> I'm sure you could go slower than Superman. No, you don't have to fly at Superman's speed. You can fly at Marissa's speed. <laughs> if I want to keep up with Henry Cavill, I'm going to have to fly <laughs> I think um I think you'll be okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, maybe after a certain amount of time the skin on your face gets calloused, you know, from like this you just have like dry leathery face skin. Oh it doesn't gosh. rip off, but it's a sight. <laughs> it's possible. Yeah. That's that is a possibility. <laughs> um what is it about these books that cause you so much anxiety? I don't, I'm just really afraid someone's going to die. I don't know. <laughs> these are not the tip, like this, this is not the typical type of book that I read. Like, I know this is, this book, this series is classified as fantasy romance, but it's a lot more fantasy and a lot less romance than what I'm used to. Like, even in the Shadow and Bone series, like, fantasy romance, but there was a lot more of a romantic component in those books. And so, like, I was worried about people dying, but not to the same, there's, I need the romance to give me some, like, cushion and comfort, and there's just not very much of it in this series. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. The romance is kind of muted. But that's the romance is almost non-existent. They kiss. Oh, okay. <laughs> they maybe have sex. It, that's questionable. And if it does actually happen, <laughs> leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> oh God. Then maybe actually it's just that Mare is kind of emotionally stunted or afraid of feeling things because that definitely seems to come across in this entire book. 
That's true. She always tries not to cry. And she's so introspective in this book and very angsty. Yes, very angsty. Detaches herself from pretty much everybody, which I get. You know, we were complaining about her being too trusting in the last book. And in this book, it's like she doesn't trust anybody at all, which I get that you were burned. She has this whole spiel at one point being like, Mare died when she fell in the arena. Marina died when... Uh, Maven betrayed her. I've died multiple times. And it's like, okay. But (laughs) the angst. (laughs) I feel like we're dealing with multiple personalities with her. In some parts, she's like, I'm going to remember these lessons that Lady Blownose told. First of all, Lady Blownose is a uh, unfortunate name. But I'm going to remember these lessons that I learned in the Glass Castle or whatever. And Channel Marina, like, get off your high horse, sister. Mm. She just straight up leaves her family. It, it is brought up later yeah. on in the book. <laughs> no goodbyes. No thought of them until, like, chapter. Years later like I don't know how long later and she's like oh I just I forgot I left my family that's not normal like- right yeah well and then after Shay dies she like hides in the infirmary for an hour before she goes to see her family and she's apologetic she's like I know I should have come sooner and her dad's like I guess you had people to talk to it's like no I was just hiding because I didn't want to actually confront you yeah which is what she did at, you know, when Gisa's hand was broken. She yes. ran away. Mayor doesn't know how to, co- like, Mayor doesn't know how to cope with her feelings. No, not at all. So I know that you felt like when, at the end, when Mayor surrenders to Maven, it was like she was just kind of giving up. I did. I there's, I think it was something about the way it was written because we have had books, we've had, we've had a lot of books where our main lead character will be like, I'll sacrifice myself, right? Mm-hmm. And I just didn't get the same vibe of being like, but I don't want to sacrifice myself. Like, I'll do it, but I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they also have a plan behind it too. Mm-hmm. Of, okay, I'll sacrifice myself, but I can get out. Mm-hmm. Sort of thing. And then when in the epilogue when she's with um maven and he puts a chain on her which by the way major star wars vibes there with uh, <laughs> princess leia yeah, princess leia yeah Jabba the hut yeah <laughs> um made me think of that but she's trying she's like i won't cry but then she cries and it's just i don't know there was something about it that i i felt like she was giving up and she didn't really care she didn't i kind of felt that way through a lot like a lot like towards the end of the book just a lot in general, mm-hmm. that she was slowly giving up, especially because her relationships were breaking down with the other characters. She doesn't mm-hmm. really have a lot left. So it's just a slow breakdown that I sort of felt was happening. But I could be wrong. Could have been the mood that I was in when I was reading the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that influences the perception. Right. So I didn't get that vibe. I think she was put in a situation where she realized it was either everyone was going to die, including her, including her two brothers, including Cal, who she supposedly is in love with, um, including Killorn, who has been the person she's been trying to keep alive for the last, I don't know, 20 years or something. She was put in a situation where it was either she and everyone else that she was trying to keep alive could die, or she could surrender to Maven and they would all go free and the killing would stop. And in regards to her not having a plan and all of the other characters before that we've read where they do this having a plan, I think it's pretty much par for the course with Mare because it doesn't seem like she's had a plan for <laughs> this entire book. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. She, <laughs> she knew she was going to go find new bloods and knew where they do were. Do what with them? <laughs> They found a place. I think she was very idealistic in her thinking of what would happen after they <laughs> started finding. It's like, we've got, we got a list. <laughs> We're just going to find the people on the list. Okay. And do what? Where are you going to house them? How are you going to feed them? What are you going to do with them once you find them? What's the overall plan? 
And then she meets the colonel and he's like, this is a crap plan. Nobody, this is not going to work. And she's just like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) I think it was, uh, I think it was bizarre that we didn't see more input from Farley or from Cal in terms of planning the future, like their, their, goals with the new bloods and all of that stuff when cal is a tactical genius has seen battle has a great idea for predicting maven's moves and farley also very clever and they're leaving it all to mayor who's never been in battle who's only (laughs) i mean who's a thief um which is you know some type of experience but i mean even Ada Wallace, you know, the new blood that can memorize and remember everything. Mm-hmm. She learns from Cal and even she's the one who I think brings the uh, information to reveal that they're slaughtering those, the 5,000 mm-hmm. kids. And she's, cause she's been listening to Cal. She's been learning and everything about these uh, strategies and stuff. She has more of a tactical mind at this point than Mare. Mare hasn't made any attempts to even learn. Mm-hmm. She's, she's winging it. She's winging it. And, and but, nobody's stopping her. I know. And no. Why? No. And well, because then when they go to stop her, they go to like point things out to her. She punches them and gets all mad and can't That's control right. her power. She gets butt hurt because people question her, even though she doesn't know what she's doing. All these people are teenagers, which explains the angst. Still. <laughs> Well, in other, like, YA fantasy novels that we've read, right, or even just in general, mm-hmm. when there are, like, teenage rebellions, there's still some, like, adult oversight, you know? Right. We talk about the Hunger Games. There was some adult. Yeah. Yeah. We've got some oversight there going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. We've got oversight going on there. Those are teenagers, but they've got help and in this it's just like here's a plane good luck (laughs) you know yeah so yeah yeah. I mean they might have been able to get some oversight from the colonel if they hadn't like stolen his plane and run away so one other um topic is Cal and Maven's relationship I guess Mm -hmm. so Mayor talks about killing Maven a lot and she tries to pull (laughs) she tries to pull Cal into it and she's like I know you want to murder I I know you want to kill him too and get your revenge and he never says anything back Mm -hmm. to that when she says she wants to kill the queen he said we'll flip a coin for it Mm -hmm. so he definitely wants her dead but he never says anything about Maven which you know makes sense because it's his brother and he says later on that he misses him mm-hmm. even i just i never got the vibe that he wanted to kill maven and yeah. i was like mary you're coming on a little intense i don't think you're helping your cause because she was trying to say those things to get him to stay mm-hmm. when he was about to walk off the plane which was uncool yeah. by the way he was just gonna leave them there with the yeah. plane yeah cool when they i forget where it is that they land first wherever it is where nix is Mm -hmm. i don't that whole situation was uncool like cal was just gonna walk off and leave them alone even though they can't fly a plane and then mayor manipulates him into staying Mm -hmm. and really what did he think was gonna happen if he like he's very recognizable like there's pictures of him hung up everywhere what what was he gonna do so I have a really hard time feeling like this book is true to Farley's character because Farley was the leader of the Scarlet Guard this is her baby like and we don't see we see very minimal involvement with her and and of course maybe it's happening and it just didn't get written about I don't know but we see very minimal involvement with Farley and planning and and planning this revolution with Mayor. 
and they're letting Mayor make all of the calls. And even in the last book, Farley was like, I'm not going to pin my entire revolution on a teenage romance. Like, where's that vibe in this book? Because Farley doesn't, based on the action that's written in this story, Farley's got very minimal involvement in what's going on. And that does not seem like it would be true to her character. I was wondering if maybe it was written like that because, you know, her dad stripped her of her title. Mm -hmm. But that was the only reason I could think where she would all of a sudden take like a massive step back like that. But people still called her captain and stuff. She would still go places Mm-hmm. like Captain Farley and she's like that's not my title anymore and they would say we're still going to call you that you're still yeah. our captain sort of thing I just don't see Farley being the type of person to let a change in title stop her from doing what she wants yeah I just wonder if it's because it came from her dad and it was harsh maybe but it seems like they don't have the best relationship in the world still. they do not no because in the end she's like I don't have like my father's dead even though he's still alive he's dead I feel so bad for Cal in this. And yeah, I really do. I do too. I mean, he just gets manipulated a lot. Now he's committed to a cause that he doesn't believe in or support. The person he's in love with keeps talking about murdering his brother. (laughs) (laughs) Mare kind of grows off the rails a little bit. Yes. This murdering thing. Like, <laughs> she's like, we'll just kill him. Okay. I don't really, it's, I agree with you. I don't think Cal wants to kill his brother. And Mayor throws that in his face a couple of times. Like, if you can't do it, I will. Like, that's not something to be proud of. Cal is like, I'm not going to kill any silver bloods. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. But doesn't extend that same thing to red bloods. Right. He never shows any qualms. So I don't think he's ever murdered, like outright murdered Red Bloods. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't have the same qualms about it. He's right. contributed to their oppression his entire yeah. life. And he was planning to, when he became king, to contribute, to continue mm-hmm. contributing to their oppression. Yeah. So he's got, he still has this elitist, I feel like, mindset. Oh, yeah, definitely. He's a, I mean, I love my sweet baby cow, but he is a hypocrite. Mm hmm. 100%. Oh. And he gets and he gets defensive too when Mayor talks about killing silvers. He's like, "I'm a silver." And she's like, "Well, I'm a red, and your people have been killing my people and forcing them to fight in a war that you haven't like contributed the same amount of deaths to for the last 100 years." So she so at one point she says um you know, they're talking about how he was planning to be a king, and she says, "As I discovered his referring to cows definition of a good king was very flawed the beggars and thieves he encountered over the years were not enough to convince the prince he saw hunger and injustice but not enough to warrant change not enough to be worth his worry that is until the world chewed him up and spit him out making him an orphan an exile and a traitor like cal is so privileged mm-hmm. and he you know it's almost like uh he uses his favor to um get mayor a position out of the slum so she has a job and can support his family so that makes him the good guy because he did this one nice thing for this one poor red girl and he is a people like a king of the people so he goes out to the bars and pretends to be one of them but it's none of it's enough for him to actually change his stance Mm -hmm. i feel sorry for Maven a little bit I know he's awful Mm -hmm. I know he you know is steadily murdering a lot of people who don't deserve to die and did really terrible things to his dad and all of the people that worked or were in any way involved with Mayor and Cal but I think he's been manipulated by his mother for his entire life I don't think that he, and I think because of that, she probably swayed his perception of the way that his dad treated him and the way that he was treated by Cal. And I think she probably crafted situations to reinforce those beliefs because she had designs on the throne for the entire time. And 
now that his mother is dead because Mayor killed her, it makes me wonder exactly if he's really committed to this whole being the king thing because that's really what he wanted or if that's the idea is that his mother has been feeding him for his whole life. I think it's definitely his mother has been feeding him things for his whole life. Especially because you do see some emotion in the first book with him, like genuine emotion, seems like. You see some genuine emotion in him. Um, He's a complicated character, I guess. He is a complicated character. He's he's so young. I mean, yeah, I think he's been used, you know. I think he was Alara's pawn. Um, Mm -hmm. I think she created this role for him to be the less loved son. And I think uh, kind of, I mean, and I I do think he's really manipulative and maybe like a psychopath, but I think that he doesn't seem like a completely awful character for the entirety of the first book. And so I wonder if like the, the depth of like the seriousness of his actions in manipulating Cal to kill his dad and all of those other things. I wonder if the guilt associated with that would be is weighing on him. Well, his mother though can take those things away with her powers. She can take away that pain and everything. So even if he is feeling or any guilt that he may be feeling, she can, make that go away, which is possible one of, you know, might be one of the reasons that he is so cold and heartless in a lot of the book. Let's talk about Alara's death. Okay. Super unsatisfying. Really unsatisfying. Like, this is what happened. I was reading it. Shay died. Suddenly, Alara is also dead and they're all in a plane. What the heck? What happened? I, I thought I I thought I missed it. I you thought he <laughs> skimmed over it or something. I went back and was like, "What?" Was such an unsatisfying death, especially for Ep. Oh, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> for everything that she's done, so unsatisfying. Oh, so you know how in the last book I was bothered by Mayor not having any skills. Like, all she can do is steal things. Well, it turns out that does actually end up being a helpful skill in this book. When she's able to, so when they go to Harbor Bay and they meet Krantz, who is friends, quote unquote friends, with Farley, and he's leading them through the tunnels, she she uses her thieving senses to be like, this guy's acting really suspicious. Let me ask him a bunch of really annoying questions until he breaks. And that that ends up working out really well. So I didn't like it for that being her only skill before, but it ends up being helpful in this book. Another reason Mare kind of annoys me is that... So you're talking about her skill. It's her only skill. Yeah. Work on your other skills, Mare. Yes. You have to train, learn things, but no, she doesn't. Yes. And that really, you know, that comes back to bite her a few times. Anytime she ends up in Silent Stone, all she's got is that, like, and she even mentions this one time. Uh, it's when they're breaking into the prison and all of the other people are like, they've loaded up with guns and knives and I'm just taking my lightning powers. Like, <laughs> no, what? <laughs> Get a gun. <laughs> and that's different from the other characters that we've, in the books that we've read, other books that we've read. It's like, okay, this character has magical abilities, but they're also like chaining, training to be able to fight, to defend themselves and not relying just on their powers. Not Mare. Nope. She's like, I'm just going to use lightning. Yeah. That, that was a problem I had with her. And she's surrounded by other people who are training too. So it's not like she couldn't just like jump in and be like, hey, I'm going to train with you. No, she just like, whatever. Another reason why I kind of felt like she didn't like, not that she gave up, just wasn't, didn't have all the heart in it or something. Mm -hmm. You'd think she would have tried harder. I don't agree. 
that at the very end, it was like she was giving up. I think she was put in a situation where she had to choose between everybody dying or just sacrificing herself. But I do feel like with her provocation with Maven, with choosing to go into this thing to save the 5,000 child soldiers with, you know, not using any extra stuff to help promote, like make herself a better warrior. It, it's almost like she's setting herself up to fail a little bit. And I do think some of that comes from her having this insane, overwhelming sense of guilt for other people that have died because of her and feeling like she needs to have some sort of punishment for, of herself because of that. I agree. I think she has a lot of survivor's guilt. Mm-hmm. She has a lot of survivor's guilt. And I think that, like you said, but okay. So in terms of her survivor's guilt, I think it's going to get even worse when the people come to try to save her and they inevitably get hurt or die or something along those lines. Right. Yeah. I just, I, she's just stacking the mental health problems on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's assuming that anyone actually comes to save her. They might all be like, you know, Mir was actually kind of a drag. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she'll save herself. I'm just assuming Maybe that they will. go, I'm just assuming that she, they go to save her. Yeah. You know, her brother is, you, you know, at the very least. Well, Shade's dead, so he can't save her. Well, and the other two. Got- don't have any magical abilities so it's true but you know they might try to put a team together or something try to organize Maybe. something I, nothing seems organized in this it's, it's not silent guard i guess is the most organized is guy. <laughs> just gonna go charging in with with no plan yep <laughs> probably what's gonna happen balls to the wall with no plans let's see what happens <laughs> And then they died. Yep. <laughs> At the end of chapter 17, we get this sort of explanation for why the glass sword is the title of the book. Mayor says, you know, in the span of a paragraph, Mayor goes from being like really self-affirming, like I am a weapon made of flesh, a sword covered in skin. I am a sword born of lightning within the same paragraph she goes from that type of self-talk to if i am a sword i'm a sword made of glass and i feel myself beginning to shatter like cue existential crisis right at this moment (laughs) unless we go with my theory that that's a description of an If that's a description of an orgasm i want no part of it i want no part of Any part of an orgasm with shattering glass? Nope. (laughs) She just had his hand, or had Cal's hands all over her. It was. Yes. This is the alleged sex scene in this book. (laughs) That was supposed to be a sex scene in Glass Sword. Are you for real? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if the shattering sword was an orgasm. I don't think it was supposed to be that. Wait a minute. Let me, she says, because I am weak, I turn in his arms. Because I am weak, I press my lips to his, searching for something to make me stop running, to make me forget. We are both weak, it seems. As his hands run over my skin, I feel a different sort of pain. Worse than Maven's machine, deeper than my nerves. It aches like a hollow like an empty weight. Is this supposed to be what an orgasm is like for her? That's why. <laughs> Let's pose it to you, podcast listeners. If you've read this book, do you think that Mare and Cal had sex in the woods at the end of chapter 17? Because we are, I have been reading smutty books for, oh heaven, 15 years. So I've read, I, I don't want to brag, but I'm pretty experienced when it comes to <laughs> judging and reading sex scenes. And I didn't even get a hint that there might have been anything sexual happening at this part of the book. So oh, podcasters, <laughs> please share your input with us. Do you think Mayor and Cal did the deed in the woods? Well, moving on to Killorn then. And his... And him being rejected by Mare. I know you had thoughts. I had thoughts. You know, I really thought that 
so when Kilburn start, starts this conversation with Mayor, he's like, you know, I know that you're not ever going to feel the way for me that I feel for you. And she's like, yes, you're correct. I don't have the ability in me to feel that way about you. You know, she talks about how, like, maybe if nothing, none of this other stuff had ever happened, they might have ended up together and had kids, but it wouldn't have been, like, a super strong romantic relationship. It would just be, like, best friends who got together, even though Killorn loves her and she doesn't love him. And so he starts out and he's like, I know you don't feel this way about me and I have accepted it. But then he, <laughs> he's like... Well, one day soon, you're going to get lost, and I won't be there to lead you back. And that just flew all over me. Like, if you can accept that she's not romantically interested in you, you cannot get mad at her when she confirms that and says, you're right, I'm not romantically interested in you. Like, you know it. <laughs> Why are you mad? She doesn't want to date you. Teenage hormones? <laughs> toxic masculinity maybe so and that i i do have strong feelings about this because i have been in this situation i have had <clears throat> just historically more male friends than female friends and in more than one scenario i have had a male friend who's been like you know i'm interested in you and i've been like well you know i'm not really interested in you and then that was the end of our friendship like why are you this way <laughs> you can't just be my friend and accept that I don't want to date you. Okay, so Kilorn is a jerk. Kilorn's a jerk. You know, I, I don't particularly hate his character, but I don't particularly like his character. He's just yeah. a character that mm -hmm. exists. She's so mean about it, though. She's awesome, fish boy. Yeah, she is really mean. There are times, so this is her with her multiple personality moments or whatever. Like, I'm Marina, she takes this really imperial tone with him sometimes and I completely understand his resentment for her when that happens because she's so like condescending to him and it's the same way after Shade dies too she takes this very imperial tone with him it's like um sister you need to back off you are just mayor from the stilts and maybe you lived in the castle for a minute and got all this special training or whatever but you are still his childhood best friend and you need to scale it back. Yeah. She was, she was mean to him a couple times there. I was like, why? That was unnecessary. Speaking of jerks, uh, Maven and branding mayor. Yeah. That was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Do you think he has, so I started to wonder if he has like narcissistic personality disorder. I just feel like we haven't, I feel like I, we probably haven't seen enough of Maven's yeah. personality to judge that, but the way that he treats Mayor as like something that is his possession mm -hmm. and then he brands her mm -hmm. like something that he would own. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely messed up. I don't know if I could say that he's narcissistic Yeah, based off of that, because like, we don't know his other, like you know mm -hmm. other than that one thing which is pretty messed up but he could also just be a psychopath not just you it know could just, yeah it could which just be I'm kind of, psychopath which is yeah so that's hard do you think he is a psychopath Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. he's a complex character I, I think mayor is maybe a little bit i don't know if it's just delusional or naive you know they so when they break into the prison and they take Cameron, you know, Cameron's kind of leading the charge here. She says that Cameron is trembling and Mayor says that she would hold her hand if she could. She would, because she wouldn't go back to Archie on, but Cameron is going back to the prison for her. Honey, no, he, she's not. She's not doing this for you. She's doing this for her brother who has been conscripted is 15 years old and is going to die. Like she's doing this so that she can learn how to control her powers and then get out of Dodge and go help her brother. And so uh, Cameron's just doing this because Mayor manipulated her into doing it. And Cal makes a comment later about, you know, 
mayor just seeing people as tools that she can use or manipulate. And I definitely get the sense that she's super manipulative of, I mean, just everybody that she comes into contact with now. If anything, she's very narcissistic. Yeah. Cause she is very self-centered. She's very manipulative. She has mm -hmm. a hard time seeing past herself. Mm -hmm. So maybe she's the narcissist. You have some feelings about the silvers begging for mercy when they I, were only doing as they were ordered. Yes. So historically saying things like I was ordered, I, I was just following orders has never I mean, it has helped, but for the most part, it doesn't really get people out of prison or out of sentencing or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And which we happened a whole bunch in the Nuremberg trials, right? That's when it became super popular of people being like, I was only doing as I was ordered. And it was determined that following an unlawful order was, even though you're following an order, if it's unlawful, then you're still responsible. Although it was interesting enough that the Israeli government determined that it wasn't the responsibility of soldiers or anyone taking orders to examine the orders as to whether or not they'd be unlawful. But that's just some history on that. But yeah. in relation to the book, um, so they're begging for mercy, saying they're just, they were under orders, they were just doing as they were ordered, and mayor kills them anyway. So you think that the reasoning behind saying I was just under orders that they should have been spared, right? I, so I don't, I don't necessarily think they should have been spared. I, I, under ideal circumstances, they would be tried by a jury of their peers who would decide if just following orders was adequate reason for them to be I don't, I don't think they should have been spared from punishment. I don't think it should have fallen to mayor to make the decision for them to die mm -hmm. because who is she to make that decision? Mm -hmm. um, I do think they should have been punished for their role in holding captive and being aware of the torture of, and likely death of multiple people. Um, but I don't think it was mayor's place to make that decision. And I don't think that it would be Cal's place to make that decision either in this case. I think that there should have been some form of punishment. I don't know that it should, like Elara's punishment to die, um, I think is fitting because she killed so many people. But I mean, they were, the guards were following orders that were handed down to them by the king. If they had dissented, they probably would have been killed. So you have to decide, well, is my life, is it worth my life to dissent against the ruler? Um, and do I just accept that if someone ever decides to change this, I'll be punished for my actions and my involvement in this. I don't think it's as simple as should they die or should they live? Punishment should be meted out in some form, but I don't think any of, I don't think it was mayor's place to. I agree. I agree that I don't think she should have killed them. Although I just, I don't think that saying I was under orders is a good defense to not be. I, yeah, I agree. For punishment. Um, I put this in here too about Cal. So he's upset about it, but obviously he has the right to be upset. My note is, does he really have the right to be upset? Obviously he does, but considering what he's done to ensure the oppression of the Reds, right? That he was willing to continue that does he see that he's a hypocrite? Can he see that? Somebody should point that out to him. Mm -hmm. It's pretty hypocritical. Yeah. Like, okay, these three people you're going to be so upset over, but meanwhile, you know, you're marching you, thousands of people to their deaths. Mm -hmm. Come on. Just because they're reds and you don't necessarily know them personally. He didn't know these guards personally. Right. But he was upset by them all the same. And you know he would not have reacted the same if they were reds. Right. Absolutely. You know, so. it's... I don't, I don't think that Cal recognizes himself as a hypocrite. And I don't think he sees the impact 
that being in a war for a hundred years has on the reds as the people. And I don't think he, you know, he recognizes that people died. Yes. But because he is the silver, he's able to distance himself from the impact that it has on, you know, all of the thousands and thousands and thousands of reds who've died in this war that his king or that he, when, if he, I don't know, would have become the leader of his country. The role that, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. He's able, he's got some distance from that situation just by the color of his blood. Mm -hmm. And I think it, that comes back in an interesting way in the end of the book, when Mare is being marched across the bridge in Archeon, and, you know, she starts out saying, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to show any sort of weakness. But then there's all of these people who are silvers and they're holding signs, pictures of their loved ones who've died. I think that's such an interesting, <laughs> like, it's, as a silver, it's okay for lots of people to die if they have red blood, red blood. But when it comes to someone of your family having the same color blood as you dying, suddenly it's a problem. Mm-hmm. I, we see that with just people in general. They don't mm -hmm. care until it happens to them. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it's an issue. Yeah, kind of like with COVID, right? So yeah. I'm not going to take the protective measures. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm not going to do this thing. And then they get COVID and they die or someone close to them dies or they get it and they don't have a quick, easy recovery. And it's like, oh, this actually has an effect on me. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? about situations like with Cal and Mare, where people come to love each other as a result of a shared hardship? Do you think it forges a stronger relationship because they endured something that was so challenging? Or are they just using each other like as an emotional crutch? Because I get no romantic vibes from Cal and Mare, but they're, they allegedly have this Real, like they're allegedly in love with each other. So I guess it depends on the situation, but it's, it sounds like so trauma bonding, right? So people who've been through the same trauma together can often become codependent. And it's something that is discouraged when you go to therapy. They're like, mm -hmm. you're codependent on somebody. We need to separate this. But it makes sense. You've gone through this shared trauma and her and Cal very closely went through you know mm -hmm. they were right next to each other in that arena i guess mm -hmm. um and they stayed together through everything now so i feel like that might be more than what it is i think they might be more codependent on each other thanks to this shared trauma that they have yeah more than actually more than anything because i don't i don't get those vibes i mean maybe other readers get these romantic vibes from them maybe it's just us Maybe it's just us because we've read some other really great romantic fantasies. Not that this isn't great, but romance-wise, it's definitely amped up in the other fantasy romance books that we've read. So Marissa talked about her quotes during the main part, but I have one quote that, and there were a couple quotes I guess I talked about in the main part as well, but one of my quotes that we didn't talk about was, I am revealed for exactly what I am, a particularly stupid fish, constantly moving from hook to hook, never learning my lesson. And so Mare says that once Killorn betrays her by putting her in the cell with Cal on Tuck Island. And I just love that. The imagery there mm -hmm. is spot on. It is. Just absolutely great imagery. And she never learns her lesson, which she's right. And then she overlearns her lesson, I suppose, <laughs> which isn't really learning a lesson. And in that case, she needs to understand. Yeah. There's a line between not trusting, you know, just be smarter about who you trust. Mm -hmm. So I like that. I, I, I really like that quote. Do you have any closing thoughts on this book? I felt very conflicted while reading this book. It gave me a lot of anxiety. And I expect that conti to continue in the next book but i'm excited to see where things go with maven and with cal and i guess with mayor but especially with how things develop and hit in maven's interactions with mayor mm -hmm. 
yeah the next books are supposedly from other people's point of views like it kind of goes back and forth so i'm excited to definitely excited to read that and get out of mare's head for a little bit yes hopefully. <laughs> hopefully there'll be some less angst or at least a different type of angst yeah in these upcoming books yeah all right so that wraps up glass sword join us next week we'll be we'll be starting the third book in this series called king's king's cage and we're excited for you to join us thanks thank you for listening to literary quest we hope you enjoyed our episode If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again.